It has been too long for that kind of a high. High. Yes. Now we're talking. Hey, I, um, oh. <laughs> it's good to see you. I'm praying for you, and I've been feeling your prayers for me and my family, and just for this day we can gather again. And um, I know we've been worshiping God even when we've been apart, but it's so good to be here together again. And uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. But anyway, um, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited to be back in God's house. I'm excited for what God has been doing while we've been away, and I can't wait to hear what God's been doing in your life, and your family. Um, I'm excited for this series. I hope you haven't had any troubles following along in the series that we're in uh, called Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And we are walking through the Gospels chronologically to just put together this beautiful picture and portrait that we have of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, through the Gospels. Um, so we're in our fifth week. If you've missed any, we've had the podcast still going. You can still check up on the videos. Um, I'm going to move this for a second just because it keeps getting in the way of me being able to see Terry. Um, but uh, we, uh, we've got the video still online. We'll have the podcast from last Sunday coming up and um, later this afternoon or tomorrow. And uh, Last week, we were, we're in the Gospel of Luke this morning. As you can see behind me, we're in Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verses 26 through 38. Last week, we looked at God breaking the silence, that silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament where no new prophetic word had been spoken. And then God breaks into Zechariah and Elizabeth's life to pronounce the birth of their son John, who we would know as John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to continue that in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, to see how God is moving, inviting His people into His story. Our focus this morning is the action of God or God's action. I don't know how your stay-at-home orders have been. I don't know if you've been compliant or not. I'm not here to judge or even ask whether or not you have. But as for Hurchins, we've, we've had a pretty good time together as a family. We've, we've learned that we, uh, we like hiking now. And, I mean, we always went for walks, but now we like going to trails and walking around and hiking and being out in God's nature and His creation. Uh, we've had you know, game nights where each one of us needed to pick a game. And last night we played Catan, which I won, by the way, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first time ever playing it, and I won. Domination. Yeah, probably last time I played, too. But... Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so we've had game nights where each of us get to pick a game, and uh, we've had movie nights, and some of our movie nights have been like uh, guy movie and girl movie, whereas the guys will stay downstairs and we'll watch some sort of action movie. We've, we've committed ourselves to making it through all of Star Wars and all of Middle Earth, and now we're doing some Marvel stuff, and the girls will go upstairs and they watch some sort of rom-com or uh, some sort of princess movie or a baking Show. I mean, they've really got into the cooking shows a lot, um, and so now Abby has her like her ingredient book and ideas of what she's going to cook, and um, so it's fun to watch. But we made a compromise this week, as we had a game night and we put a movie on in the background uh, to watch The Princess Bride. I mean, it's a rom-com and it's action all together, and it's love, woo, love. I mean, and. So it was, it was hard because we had to pause it every now and then because Ethan and Abby would forget it was their turn to go. So we had to pause it so they would come back to the game we were playing. But, you know, the action of God 
in Mary's life is love. Love, that's right. It is the love of God which motivates us to love God and to love people. Here again, it is the love of God which motivates us to love God and love people. It is not about legalism. It's not about I have to do this. It is because God loves me. Therefore, I want to show the love of God in the people's life. And all of God's actions, even the things we don't understand why he allows it to happen, all of God's actions are from a place of love. God is love. He can do nothing but love us. His discipline is in love. His times where he puts us in uncertainty is in love. And since all of God's actions are love, it calls us to love God with all that we have and to love the people that God has placed in our life. In looking at the events of Zechariah, and now we're coming into looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, there are a lot of similarities between Zechariah's announcement and Mary's announcement. Both were visited by an angel. Both struggled to understand the message the angel was giving them. Both received the message from God. Both had initial objections and both received reassurance through a sign. But even though there's similarities, there's so much more different that we can take from this event that happened with Mary. So let's read God's word. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Gospel Luke is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, right before John. We're going to read verse 26 through verse 38. And the word of the Lord says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and we have called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So our passage begins in the sixth month, and what that's doing is it's tying it back to Elizabeth becoming pregnant with John. Uh, that's what it's referring to. It's, it, we know from verse 24 in Luke chapter 1 that Elizabeth remained hidden for five months. Pause. Unpause. I know some of y'all did that while you watched the video. So. so Elizabeth remained hidden for five months. It seems to imply here that she actually went additional six months because Mary had yet to hear the news that she had become pregnant with a child. This would have been new news to Mary. You have to keep in mind, they don't have Zoom or cell phones or anything like that that they can get in contact with. And Elizabeth probably didn't write anything since she, since she remained hidden. Luke also points out concerning Mary that Gabriel was sent to her to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. 
And Luke most likely mentions this city of Nazareth because his original audience would not have been familiar with Nazareth. It was not a huge city. It was kind of like on the lines of Stratford. About 2,000 people lived there. It was considered an out-of-the-way, unknown, remote village. And most of the Jewish people in this day and age actually looked at people from Nazareth uh, belittling them. We can know that because when Philip met Jesus Christ and he goes to find Nathanael to introduce him to Jesus, he tells Nathanael that we have found the Messiah and he's from Nazareth, to which Nathanael responds, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We're told that Mary was a virgin, which is to speak of her purity. She was betrothed or pledged and engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. At this point in time in Mary's life, Mary's engagement to a man of a Jewish nationality and a descendant of the house of David has been her only significance in life. To be betrothed held a lot more weight than what we have as an engagement today. An engagement in Mary's time involved a formal agreement initiated by a father seeking a wife for a son to which a payment of a purchase price to the bride's father and a written agreement by the son made the couple engaged. An engagement was legally binding and the parties during this time were considered husband and wife. I know we tend to make much of the bride when it comes to a wedding today, but in this day and age, the bride-to-be was something to be bartered with. The most important part about this engagement was the groom's husband, the groom-to-be, and the father of the wife-to-be. It, it was the son's opinion of the wife he was going to marry, which held more significance than the bride that was going to be his. So even though this engagement would have given Mary some significance, as she would have been attached to a man in order to have children, Mary's engagement would not have been her choice. In steps God. And God came to give Mary significance in his story. You know, I was in middle school and high school. That was something I wrestled with continuously. Wanting significance, wanting to be liked by my peers, wanting to be involved and be a part of the group. And so later in my high school career, I made a lot of decisions based on wanting to be significant to my peers that were bad decisions. And Scripture reveals this, that when we, make, we seek significance outside of God's Word, outside of God's will, we will always find ourselves in trouble. When we search for meaning and significance away from God, we will always find ourselves in places we don't want to be. You see this throughout Scripture, and it begins in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve, when they thought they could find significance outside what God had already spoken over their life. Our temptation today is to allow our marriage, to allow our kids and our family, to allow our title and our income and our abilities to give us significance. But this is our significance. We are loved by God. That's what makes us significant. We are known by God. And God has given us an identity God speaks over us through His Word and who we are in Him. We are His children. We are righteous. We are empowered. We are saved. We are forgiven. We are representatives of the eternal kingdom and we are loved. Robert McGee writes, God knows we need to know how valuable our lives are and He spends much of His Word telling us so. When we search for significance outside of God's Word, 
through material things or things in this world, we are always going to be left with a sense of longing and a sense of needing. We're always going to be doubting our worth. Though Mary had been given a significance in this engagement, God comes to Mary to speak of a greater worth. God speaks our worth through his word. And our significance is found in our relationship and identity in Christ. Luke sets the stage for Gabriel to enter. And Gabriel's initial comment to Mary takes her off guard. Look in verses 28 through 30. And he came and he said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Did you catch a key word in what the angel says? That word favor or favored? Gabriel comes commissioned by God to announce God's favor on Mary, and it confuses her. The reason it confuses is Mary because she's a very young girl. She's most likely between the ages of 13 and 15. Her identity in this society is tied to her engagement. Along with this, men were not to speak to women in private, let alone a woman who's engaged. What Gabriel's sent to do is taboo in this society, and so she's taken back. But God sent Gabriel to deliver a message to Mary that she is favored. That word favored means grace. Gabriel's telling Mary she is the recipient of God's unexpected, undeserved, and overwhelming grace. And at this point in the text, there is nothing that tells us Mary has any sort of special trait. Luke doesn't give us anything about her at this point in the text. Whereas in Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous and blameless and walked before God in all of his ways. But nothing of Mary says that she has any significance. Mary was not a mother of grace. She was a daughter of grace. It is Joseph whom she is marrying who is of the house of David. It is Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 who is a just man, which means he is righteous. There are no qualities of Mary that we should look at and be like, oh yeah, she deserves that. But to be favored by God means it is God's choice to invite us into his story by his grace. God took action on Mary's life and granted her grace just as he does with us. God graces us with favor. Another way of saying that is God graces us with grace. Philip Yancey writes, Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Mary was chosen to give, the, give birth to God's Son because of God's grace. And we were given the understanding of our need of salvation and the need of Jesus because of God's grace. It was by grace Mary became the mother of Christ, and it is for grace you have been saved by faith. And so when we understand grace as sinners before a holy God, it should change everything. It should make us respond a lot like Mary does here in verse 29. Understanding what in the world does this mean? How does this supposed to be applied to my life? Why do I deserve such a gift of grace from God? Because we should understand we deserve nothing but the fires of hell before a holy God. But by His grace, we have been invited into His story, into His salvation. God graces us all with favor through Jesus Christ. It is undeserved. And when we understand grace, we understand what God wants grace to do in our life. God takes action. God invites us into His story. 
verses 31 through 33, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall, name, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel's talking to Mary here. He's, he's telling Mary that God is inviting her into his salvation story. But do you notice what Gabriel pronounces over Mary has nothing to do with Mary at all? His name will be Jesus. The name Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. He says that He will be great. Not like how John will be great before the Lord, but Jesus' greatness has always been and always be. He will have absolute greatness. He will be the Son of the Most High. He will receive the throne of His Father David. The word Father can also be read as ancestor in this context and speaks of the Davidic covenant. Jesus will be the child of promise. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. The title Jacob refers to the house of Israel, meaning Jesus will reign over God's family, His covenantal people, which fulfills the prophecy of Jacob, who is Israel in Genesis 49. Finally, His kingdom, there will be no end. Though Jesus was born of a woman, Jesus will have the eternal nature of God. This proclamation is all about Jesus. See, Mary's significance and the grace bestowed to her was all about her identity to Jesus Christ. And the same goes for us. Our significance in this life and the grace that God gives us is all about our identity with Christ. But before Mary can accept what Gabriel is presenting, God lets her know who she would represent. That's the point of talking about Jesus here. God's invitation to Mary and for us and to stories to realize that we are representing something greater than ourselves in this world. God gives us significance and grace so we might be active participants in His eternal kingdom. And the reason we know that Mary got this is because she asked the question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? This is not Mary doubting faith like Zachariah did because he and his wife were in their old age. She's she's not doubting the message and what God is speaking over her. Mary is seeking understanding. Isn't it nice to know that the mother of Jesus wasn't stupid? She understood how babies were made. That's what she's saying here. I have yet to have any sexual relations, so how in the world can I have a child? And Because what God is doing, God realizes that this for Mary and for us, this idea of grace and being significant, It's too great to comprehend. So God takes action once again, and God delivers understanding. Look in verse 35 through 37. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month to which to with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. That word overshadow there in verse 35 means to cover. It is a symbolic word which would have taken Mary's mind back to the tabernacle when God's presence covered the tabernacle. It's a similar way that John uses in John chapter 1, verse 14, which says the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in John 1, 14 means to camp. It means to tabernacle. The phrase 
that Luke was led to use by the Spirit is letting us know that the conception of Jesus has no human intervention. It would be by the power of the Holy Spirit. J.R. Edwards points out that God overshadowed and infused with His presence and glory in the tabernacle. There God chose to materialize and localize Himself in a particular time and space. The divine cloud that establishes presence in a place now does so in a person who is Jesus Christ. Because there's no human intervention was used in this conception in the incarnation of Christ. This is why Jesus, in verse 35, is called holy, the Son of God. The word holy means sinless. Luke, right here in the beginning, is letting us and his original readers understand the conception of Christ took place in this way because of who Jesus would be and what Jesus ultimately would have to do in dying on the cross for the sins of the world. And the sign that Gabriel gives Mary concerning this conception is Elizabeth, her relative, in her old age. It is Elizabeth's conception and the incarnation of Christ through the Holy Spirit, which Gabriel then delivers that verse that we are also familiar with. For nothing will be impossible with God. Here's how we can apply that verse in our life. God delivers us understanding through His Word so we can be assured that our God can do anything. Nothing can stop our God. And when we gain an understanding to God's Word for God to empower us then to live in our faith, if God can make a barren woman pregnant, if God can make a virgin become pregnant, then God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. That's what that verse means in that context. God has proven that He can break the laws of physics and nature when it's for His will and His glory. The greatest deliverance of understanding what God is doing and what God wants to do is found in His Word. Gabriel was God's messenger. This was not Gabriel's message to deliver. This was God's plan for eternity. And Gabriel delivered understanding how God's spoken Word would work in Mary's life. Today we have God's written Word not delivered by an angel, but here is delivered by the Holy Spirit Himself. God Himself spoke, and now we have the words of God to guide us and lead us to know that nothing is impossible with God. God spoke, so we might have a godly understanding while we live in this world. So if we want to know why the world does what it does, I have to look to God's Word, not the world, to understand it. I have to allow this to guide my decisions and my interpretations of things that I see on the news and out and about me. I have to use this as my guiding light. Again, Mary's response isn't a lack of faith, but a lack of understanding. And once Mary understands, we have one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. Once Mary understands that nothing's impossible with God, and God has been working this out and doing this, Mary submits in obedience. Look in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 38 is the very first spiritual statement in the Gospel of Luke concerning Mary. She says, I am the servant of the Lord. Mary is stating her allegiance to God and God's will. She is stating that all that she is, all of her identity completely belongs to God and is in complete submission 
to whatever God would have for her life. What's amazing, unlike Zechariah, which we looked at last week, Mary doesn't ask for further proof. Instead, she receives God's word as the only truth she needs and completely submits. Last week was, uh, last Sunday was Mother's Day, so happy belated mothers. Love you all. I mentioned we, uh, as a family, we've started doing like hiking, going out and just seeing some trails and stuff like that. And so, <clears throat> being Mother's Day, I asked, Jamie, the mother of our children, what do you want to do today? And she said, I want to go hiking. Cool. And one of her co-workers at school had told her of a place to go that we had yet to, to visit. And so loaded the kids up, got in the car. We had to drive just a little bit. wasn't too far away. Um, we practiced social distancing. Don't worry. We'd never been to this trail before. And so we didn't really know what to expect. And we are amateur hikers at best. Um, so that's good to know for this story. So we, we started on the trail, and it was literally over the bridge and through the woods. I mean, it, literally, that's, that's how it started. And as we're walking, Jamie can say this is truth. I said this is, this is the most boring trail I've ever been on. Because it was like gravel, and there's like just a couple of trees all around. And I'm like, this is, I feel like I'm just walking on a gravel road. I mean, this is not a trail whatsoever. So being a guy, you know, we got to amp it up, right, guys? Ugh. I see, I happen to see to my left, there's a dirt trail that happens to go into the woods and up the hill. And I think, perfect, because this is boring. I see a river over there, or a little creek, but we're going to do that. And so we start walking up the hill on this little dirt, dirt path until we get to a point that we come around a bend, and I kid you not, there was a homeless camp at the top of this hill. So I stop the family, stop the kids, and say, all right, you know, almost like there's a bear there, you know, back away. Um, and so we start going away. We ran into another couple. I said, I don't think you want to be up there because I think that, like, there's a homeless camp. And then it occurred to me they may have been going up to that camp. Um, and so I felt guilty for a while. And so I saw them in their car when we left. It was good. Uh, so no awkward situation. Um, so we get back on the path, and we start walking. And I've decided at this moment it is Mother's Day after all. So I'm going to let Jamie decide what we're going to do on this, this little hike. And we come to a creek. There is no bridge over this creek. And, you know, Mother's Day, if you remember, it was a nice day, but it wasn't like overly warm. I mean, it's like in the low 60s, and it's just now gotten into 60s. And so I knew the water was cold. And as we stood on the bank of the creek and we watched other brave souls go before us, some had horses, which was cheating, by the way, but they went before us, I could tell by their reaction that that water was not a pleasant feeling because their faces dropped. You know when people get cold, you know, that, that initial shock? And so it's Mother's Day. I already made one decision, did not go well, so I turned to Jamie and I said, what do you want to do? Now, i got to preface this. It's not that I don't ask Jamie what she wants to do in our family, okay? I'm not that kind of husband. I ask her all the time, where do you want to go? What would you like to eat? And guys, when we ask, what would you like to eat? What do we get? <laughs> so I, I turned to her, and I'm thinking I'm going to get that response. You know, I'm going to get, I don't know, you know. Uh, so I said, so what do you want to do? Her face lights up. Really? I knew right then we are going across this river. <laughs> I knew right then, and, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, 
we have to go across once, and I'm guessing to get back, we're going to have to come across again. And so we, we start taking off our shoes and our socks, and we're thinking we're going to do this. We're going to walk across, so we're going to keep our shoes and socks dry. But the rocks are really sharp, and as soon as we hit the water, it was like not only needles on the bottom of our feet, but all up our leg. And so we get back, and we put our socks and our shoes back on, and we go across. And here's the thing. I, that is my biggest pet peeve. I hate wet socks. Anybody else hate wet socks? I hate wet socks. But I don't know how long this trail is going to be, but I know I'm going to have wet socks for the rest of it. Abby loved it because we not only had to go across once, not twice, but three times across this thing. And at one point it was up like up to here and it's freezing cold. And I was thinking like Oregon Trail at this moment. You know, I'm not going to do COVID-19. I'm going to do dysentery um, and it's not going to be good. But it was, a, it was an adventure. The thing was, we stood on the banks of the river for probably five or ten minutes. We watched other people go. And it had to come to a point, we had to make the decision, are we going to completely submit to the journey ahead? That's what God wants from us. We've already taken that first step of faith. Are we going to completely submit to the journey ahead? Even if we don't fully understand how it's going to work, even if we don't fully understand how it all plays out or where he is in the midst of all of it, even if it's going to completely wreck our lives. When Mary became pregnant, she was engaged to a man. And when she says, I am the servant of the Lord, she was taking the step of faith to go all in and risk it all to be a part of God's story. Mary was willing to walk away from her worldly significance. She was willing to take the ridicule and the death sentence that a Jewish girl would receive for having a child out of, out of wedlock. Mary was willing to potentially walk away from every Jewish girl's dream of being wed and having children. But when God spoke over her life, she didn't need more proof. She said, I'm in. Because I want to be a part of what God's doing. Because I know that's greater than anything I can come up with. And God taking action and revealing a story to Jesus, this is what God calls for our complete submission. Nothing was being forced on Mary. And nothing is being forced on us. God reveals His plan and His will, and He invites us to join in as slaves of righteousness. And Mary says, no matter the cost, let it be according to your word. It's a prayer that would mirror Jesus' in the garden. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Before Jesus was even born, Mary had a heart of Christ in submitting to the will of the Father. And this is the call of Christianity, to completely submit and be obedient to the Father's will. Yes, in Christ we have forgiveness. Yes, we have been given eternal salvation. But even greater, we are submitting to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves to God. So the only way we can love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others the way we love ourselves is if we're completely submitting to who He is. And we tell God we're all in. 
When we understand who Jesus is and why He did what He did, the only response is to humbly and completely submit like Mary did. And so when things are off in our life, we need to ask, is there something in my life I'm not submitting to God? In James chapter 4, the prerequisite to resisting the devil is submitting to God. And that sounds scary when we say submit. We don't like that word. You know, I did marriage counseling. Anytime I do a wedding, you know, just heads up, if you've got kids ever going to get married and I'm going to marry them, I, I make them do marriage counseling. I'm not like a certified counselor, but we have to sit down and talk about a few things, do a few activities, stuff like that. So every marriage I've done, I have done marriage counseling except one, and that was to Jamie's older brother, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law, and I see them like several times a year so I can keep up to date with them. But every other one, I've done some sort of marriage counseling. And I remember one in particular... There's this couple that's getting married, and we were going through the vows. So we're getting closer and closer to the actual wedding day. And we're going through the vows and got to the point where her vow was, and I will submit to my husband. And her body language completely changed. What? And so I, I went to some scripture, 1 Peter 3.1, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. Then to kind of reassure her, I said, this is the husband's role. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which is a sacrificial love. And so we talked about the meaning. I pointed out Scripture and giving them understanding. And as, as we are drawing that session to close, both of them have agreed to keep that submit to your husbands in the vows. But when you know, when we got to the actual marriage and we were going through the vows, she stopped, took a big breath, and then said it. It was, it was clearly evident. I mean, there were people laughing at the wedding at that moment in time. I never asked her why she stopped, but I believe it's the same thing that we do when we're calling to be submissive to God, to be obedient, to humble ourselves, because we believe in the lie that we are actually in control. That's why we won't submit to Him. We actually think we're in control, yet we can't control what happens today, next week, or the next week. And if you don't believe me, just think about what happened the last seven weeks. We're in absolute control of nothing, but we are loved by the God who's in control of all things. So we can humbly submit to His will because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. So I may be scared, I may be reluctant, I may have questions, I may not understand, but I can submit freely to God because I know that God has good in store for me as His child, and I can trust Him. Today, God may be calling us to renew our promise to submit to His authority over our life. But maybe you're here and you've yet to submit to God's love and God's grace in the first place. There is a God who created the heavens and the earth. He knows all things, sees all things. Nothing is hidden from Him. He knows you better than you know you. And He knows that you and I have a rebellious heart, and that rebellious heart causes us to sin and not to submit to His will at times. But because God loves us and God is a God of grace, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. They placed Him in the tomb. He rose three days later and the Bible says, when I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I will be completely forgiven past, present, and future. And I will be given eternal salvation. 
And this gift is for everyone. That's grace. And if you're here this morning and you've yet to accept God's grace and God's love for you, I'm going to invite Charlie to come down. Charlie's over here. He will pray with you. He may keep some social distance. It's not you. It's just because that's the way it is. Mike, if you want to come down. Um, if you just need to come and have someone pray over you, maybe you just want to kneel around them, and they, will, they won't touch you. They'll just pray over you. Because I know this is scary to submit to God's will. I know there's a lot of questions. But as we see with Mary, when we submit to God's will, God uses us in ways we could never imagine. Everybody remembers Mary's name. She was a servant of the Lord. We're going to pray and have a time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come if you need to respond. Father, thank you for this day and for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for the good gifts that you've given us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you give us grace, even though we wrestle with being obedient at times. But, Lord, you are our shepherd. You promise to never leave us or forsake us, and you guide us through those. Thank you, Lord, that you are good. Thank you, Lord, that you are working something beyond even our prayers can expect. And so we come before you now, and we submit to your will to be done in our lives and our heart. Father, you just continue to have your way with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. I just pray this time of invitation that you alone be glorified, that your kingdom alone be done. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen.